welcome to Confessions of an Eco Warrior, the podcast exploring the possibilities, challenges and contradictions of attempting to reduce our impact on the planet. It's Becky and Mac here again. Uh, thanks for tuning into uh, today's show. Um, and today's show is aptly titled She Blinded Me With Science, which is a probably a very niche 80s song reference um so i hope you all got it um it's not a particularly good song so i don't recommend you going to listen to it but today we are actually talking about some more of the big ideas specifically in relation to climate change there's a lot of a sort of like misinformation exaggeration sensationalization of um what climate change actually means in the media um and uh i think we don't really always understand what the often the big terms that they use mean i certainly for one uh doing the research for this podcast this week learned a lot and uh mac is going to be giving me some science lessons on climate change hardly well yeah we realized that through doing this podcast we often get asked questions about these things and why does this stuff matter or what's the relationship between that and what is climate change and what do these terms mean so we're going to try to loosely attempt in layman's yeah exactly talk, just, talk our way through it in, in the best way that we possibly can yeah and just try and relate it back to you so it's like what does this mean for me or what impact could this have on my day-to-day living because i feel like a lot of these ideas sometimes feel like a bit abstract that they don't impact your day-to-day um and that you can't imagine how they may impact impact your life you know talking about you know what the planet might be like in a hundred years time isn't something to easily visualize Okay, so first, let's go through our sort of eco-fails, eco-confessions, or eco-wins. Do you want me to go first? Yeah, okay. I'm going with an eco-win. I really struggled this week. I always forget this part of the podcast. So I'm going to go with eco-win. We have just started off the year by booking our holiday, and I'm really excited because we're holidaying with my best friend and her partner, which is always really lovely because she lives in Germany, so I don't get to see her often enough. And this year we're cycling, and we're cycling from Germany to... Uh, through Austria and we've managed to get all of the trip through train travel and we've had to break it up and it's been a bit of a stress making sure we can do it with cost um, but we're getting to see some other friends on the way and it means we're not flying for our holiday this year so I'm really chuffed about that. That's really great and we talked a little bit um, about this today um, just saying how um, it's really great that um, you can do that because I think sometimes rail travel can be super expensive and even though actually at the same time a lot more convenient which we don't always realize you know it can take you right into the city center where you need to be um but it can be really expensive so it's really great that you've done that and i similarly have um have booked uh, one of my trips this year is um is by rail travel so that's really cool nice uh my eco fail so i don't know thinking about this one this week is in relation to our last podcast talking about Uh, how we buy and shop in the January sales and particularly related to the fast fashion industry Uh, and I kind of wanted to be a kind of upfront and I guess you know do a bit of real talk in in what that means for my day-to-day living I think I'm quite open and honest in a lot of our podcasts about how I'm still learning and there's certain habits that I've had that I'm, I'm still trying to change and don't always excel at um, so I guess I, what I'm really trying to get at in a long-winded way is to tell you what I did buy in the January <laughs> sales. Because everyone's so interested in that, right? I did, in terms of like buying something, things in the sales, uh, the three things that I bought, I bought a headband. Nice. Um, Functional. And exactly. Uh, not at all necessary. It was orange, which, you know, that's... <laughs> 
whatever. And then I bought two boxes of glasses, which actually we did really need. Uh, so we were having people kind of coming around to our house um, and realised that actually we've got like three glasses that are all chipped. Um, and it's like, are we still living like students? <laughs> Maybe. So we bought ourselves some really nice glasses. And just to reinforce the point of how much we needed them is that we had a housewarming party in January where somebody came around and gave me glasses as a gift because they'd been to my house before Christmas and realised that I didn't have any glasses to give them. <laughs> I feel like that's justified, so I'm okay with that. However, I did um, buy some items of clothing, not in the sales, but nevertheless in January. I love your reasoning for this, though. It's, well, it's not really a reason. I'm just using, like, one of them does have a legitimate reason. The other two were just an excuse. I got really poorly and it got really cold. And then I saw these two really nice high-neck jumpers, um, <laughs> one of which I'm currently wearing. And I was like, oh, I can protect my throat with these. Um, but that was definitely just my excuse to be able to buy them at the time. So that's a bit naughty. Slap on the hand for me. Wear it 50 times and it's absolutely fine. Exactly, which I plan to do mm -hmm. um, and look after them really well. Good, good. Um, and uh, the other thing I did buy um, was a pair of trousers. I was telling Mac that actually I've lost quite a bit of weight and I think I mentioned that in another episode. And I've taken great lengths to um, sort of tailor some of my clothes but I've still got a bit of an in-between phase where I've got trousers for work that don't still fit me because I'm still a little bit too big for them but then I've still got a few pairs of trousers that are way too big for me now and I haven't had time to go get them fixed mm -hmm. uh, so I did buy myself a pair of work trousers um, not on the sale that's not too bad yeah not for me honestly shabby. Previous years, I would have had a whole hoard from yeah. so many different shops. Um, and so I do feel like I've failed a little bit, but all in all, kind of progress. Definite progress. So shall we start our uh, mini science lesson? Yeah, I feel then? apprehensive about where to start. So I asked Becky to think about two key things that are terms that are talked about all the time when it comes to climate science. And let's break them down to see what she found out. In order to start talking about climate change, we have to talk about greenhouse gases and we have to talk about fossil fuels. So Becky, what did you find out about those terms? Okay, uh, some of the resources I use for this, which I'm not ashamed of, is uh, NASA Kids and uh, Britannia Kids. Uh, so thank you, Google, for those recommendations. Greenhouse gases absorb the infrared radiation from the sun and they trap the energy from the sun to help warm up the planet. Mm -hmm. Am I getting this so, right so far? Well, I think so. It sounds familiar. Okay. <laughs> so they warm the uh, Earth's surface and the air above it. Uh, and a key point is that we actually do need the greenhouse gas effect because it's a bit like a greenhouse where you've got the sun coming in uh, to warm the air around the plants to help them grow and stay healthy but then the the greenhouse glass stops that hot air from getting out mm -hmm. and actually without that if we were to think about the planet the planet would be too cold mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. we do need the greenhouse gases and the greenhouse gas effect mm -hmm, mm -hmm. am i right so far mm, yeah yes okay yeah right. <laughs> I'm feeling nervous. Wait, this no, is a pop quiz. I know, I'm thinking it through as you're saying it because this is tough stuff to get your yeah. head around. Yeah. So there's some key, um, sorry, key types of um, greenhouse gases and uh, that's water vapour, carbon, di carbon dioxide and methane. Those are, there are some others, but I think mm -hmm. those are the three core ones. Yeah, they're ones. the three, three core ones. The other ones are like small percentages and while significant in their effect, the focus is usually on the other three. First, we've got water vapour. Um, water vapour is essentially the steam that you get off like a boiling pot or off your boiling kettle. And what it does is it creates clouds in the atmosphere that then produce rain. Mm -hmm. And I mean, that might ring a bell with people from their like GCSE geography yeah, or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Didn't ring a bell with me, I guess maybe it did. But I obviously didn't pay attention <laughs> in science GCSE, but okay. Uh, then we have carbon dioxide. I think 
like everybody knows a lot about carbon dioxide. You would hope, yeah. Even in terms of just thinking about how, you know, uh, uh, kind of the photosynthesis and that sort of stuff. Which we'll get into, yeah. Yeah, but carbon dioxide is all around us naturally from decaying and living organisms, so whether that's plants, whether that's food that's rotting, etc. But I think a key point is that it's also released from burning fossil fuels, mm-hmm. which we'll talk about fossil fuels a bit more later. Um, so then it's created then in a, a man-made way as well as being naturally yeah, around it's us. about where it is at the time yeah and then another one which people i think probably know less about um is methane uh so methane is a product uh from gas released from things like wetlands uh or areas where rice is grown also things like where areas where you raise cattle but also more more even more man-made industrial processes like mining and extracting gas which when you realize that you can see okay so the more uh, cattle that we raise and the more rice we have to grow or the more gas so that we have to extract and um, the more methane will be produced that's right that's right and i think that maybe methane the most familiar thing for people is the meat bit yeah is the cattle bit because it's literally them fine yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> i was like should i say that is i'm that just true? gonna say it no that's true and also there's so the, the thing that gets confusing about greenhouse gases and the way it gets like it's not this completely straightforward thing is co2 and, and methane and how it's not just about how much of them there is in the atmosphere but it's on where they're released from but it's about the, the sort of the lifespan of how long they will stay mm-hmm. in the atmosphere for and their power at trapping heat let's yeah. call it that that's probably not the right terminology so methane is now I've read different materials from different periods of time, but at times methane's been said to be 20 times more. I'm not going to say potent, I can't think what the right word is, but at trapping heat, methane is more powerful at doing that than carbon dioxide. Mm-hmm. But there is more carbon dioxide in the atmosphere than there is methane. Methane doesn't live as long as what carbon dioxide does, but as you say, it's more powerful. So both of them are still significant, and that's why yeah. they get talked about a lot. Okay, so that's that's really interesting to know. Um, so I think what it would be good if you could share with us a bit more now is so we kind of covered kind of that the what the core greenhouse gases are. Mm. So that's water vapor, carbon dioxide, and methane. If you could maybe tell us a bit about you know why they're important yeah. or um, what the kind of adverse effects of those of those greenhouse gases are. Okay, here we go. Right, this is tough. I'm going to try and explain it in layman's terms, not just because. Like, I want everyone to understand it, but also I'm trying to understand it. Like I was saying to Becky, I did this as a master's degree to try and better understand it. But there was only one module that was actually about the science. I'd never done geography GCSE. I'd never read graphs before. That science module was really hard. Mm -hmm. And like, I, you know, did the work and I learned it and I understood it. But then being able to relay that to somebody else is really tough and retaining that information. So what we're talking about when we talk about... Um, greenhouse gases and and most predominantly carbon dioxide it's about where that carbon dioxide where that carbon is is it being stored somewhere is it in a carbon sink or is it in the atmosphere so it's about where it is at the time in the planet does that make sense well yeah but why okay so it's called the carbon cycle and as you mentioned about photosynthesis we learned at school that plants and trees through photosynthesis, absorb CO2 and release oxygen. And we remember this yeah. from school, right? Yeah. That that's a beautiful thing, natural thing that happens. That's also the same in soil. So plants die and decompose and, and soil ends up trapping CO2 and absorbing mm-hmm. it. So it's no longer in the atmosphere. So there are these are called carbon sinks. So carbon sinks are plants, soil and the ocean. The biggest carbon sink is the ocean. But there's also carbon stored in land and volcanoes and rock. And when it's extracted and burnt as fossil fuels, when that oil is extracted, that that oil is storing so much carbon that is then released into the atmosphere. Okay. So it being in oil storage in the pit of the sea, 
or in a volcano, absolutely fine. It can stay there. It's been there for mm-hmm. a really long time. When we then extract it or when a volcano erupts and that, that there's that carbon is released, it enters through this cycle. It's no longer right. being stored. It's no longer sunk. It's now in the atmosphere. Okay. Let me see if then I've got this right. <laughs> okay. In the store, so like I, I think the volcano is probably maybe the easiest one of the sea. So if it's I like, might have confused things by saying volcano though because that the ash that gets released actually can help to cool the planet that's another complication okay let's leave that one for now <laughs> but i mean the things that stored so if you've got like a rock you've got something mm. under the ground or under the sea that's stored the mm-hmm. the oh who will point is then if i this if i've interpreted this right is that that carbon is stored in that item or object or um piece of the earth whatever mm-hmm. um but it's not in the atmosphere it's because not it's in the atmosphere in, yeah. it's in that Whatever, fossil. whatever it is. We're going to call yeah, it a fossil. Because it's yeah. a fossil thing. Yeah, look at us making that connection. Yes. Oh, yeah. Science. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> we are all over this. Yeah. Uh, so it's, yeah, so it's stored. So it's not released into the atmosphere. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, as I said, so when it's like manipulated in an industrial process or broken down. And extracted. Um, and it's yeah. extracted. So then it's released out into the atmosphere. Mm-hmm. It's being released when traditionally it would never have been released because it would have just stayed in its original form yes yeah and if there isn't additional that you know they're now looking to the science of how much can trees and and the carbon sinks how much can they take so how much of our plants and soil and trees Mm -hmm. and ocean because if we're releasing more and more carbon into the atmosphere it's putting pressure or in like we can measure how much carbon is in the atmosphere you're putting almost pressure on all of these carbon sinks to take in more because if it's in the atmosphere it's trapping that heat through that greenhouse gas process and it's heating up the planet and that has massive adverse effects which we'll go on to talk about on on the way we live and what's going to happen to the future of the planet and so then i guess then you can relate that back to so you've got your carbon stores that where um it's there's a number of i guess occasions where you said they've been manually extracted where they shouldn't have been Mm -hmm. and that's being released into the atmosphere Mm -hmm. and then when we talk about things uh trying to relate it back to um like for example trees being taken down in the amazon rainforest is that you've got a number of sort of like trees and plants and green things that can be the actors that sink and take in the carbon dioxide or the carbon um, gas Mm -hmm. but as you as we have less of that as well so there's not only there's more in the atmosphere there's less less sinks less sinks to take in to take in yes and that's that's what was I going to say about trees and and the Amazon? Oh, and that actually when those when the Amazon's being knocked down, that carbon that was stored in the trees is it's being released. released. So it's making that even worse. Yeah. Same with with the Aussie fires and stuff that's going on there. And the other thing to mention is the ocean, as I said, is the biggest carbon sink. It takes in the most carbon. Um, and, air, and how does it? Yeah, how does so it take in carbon? I, let me see if I get this right. God, I hope so. Air dissolves into the ocean, and over a period of now I've written 20 to 200 years. This is what ha- seems to happen because there's so many different variable factors. Mm-hmm. But the plankton in the sea is what regulates carbon in the ocean. And because there's been so much carbon and so much warming of the planet, the plankton's dying and it's leading to acidification and there's an increased level of carbon and they're all affecting one another. Basically, that's a massive problem. Okay. That was really confusing what I yeah, just said. it's kind of like a bit hard to digest. It's really hard to understand, but basically, like, the, if the oceans are getting too warm, that has an adverse effects on sheet ice that might be underwater that's then going to melt and make the sea rise. Yeah. And if it's too warm and the plankton's dying, then the regulation of how much carbon it can take in is not able to function properly. Yeah, because it has less sink ability to let's, like take let's it call in. it that god i hope that's right yeah so basically these are all they all have little factors against one another yeah and as we've said like this the problems that this causes is that if the planet is heating up 
and if that's leading which we do like know that that's leading to the north pole ice cap melting and various other glaciers and ice melting that's going to lead to sea level rise mm-hmm. and vast majority like vast vast populations live coast in coastal areas where if the sea rises at like you know they're talking about various meters of mm-hmm. um, height that these people that you know we're going to reduce our, how much land we have that's yeah. livable so then so then i think sometimes the picture is you can talk a lot about in the media about kind of the polar ice caps melting and i think you know sometimes you see pictures of malnourished bears or arctic foxes and you think well okay that's really sad but mm. how does that um impact me mm-hmm. you know okay yeah their Good habitat's point. decreasing but how does that impact me but then i guess what you're saying is by the sea level actually rising you see it in all these kind of like disaster mm-hmm. movies but mm-hmm. there are genuine implications that kind of these coastal areas particular ones that are close to sort of Definitely. um sea level yeah. um will be destroyed or mm-hmm. um, flooded um and so it will impact um i guess mankind's ability to kind of where live in live. certain places absolutely it's going to affect where people can live it's going to affect um the, the chances of extreme weather events um for us in the uk we're going to it leads to more water vapor we're going to see more rain, basically. In the UK, we're going to see more rain. People think global warming, they think climate change, they think, oh, we're just going to have warmer mm-hmm. weather, how fantastic. But if the, the weather systems change in, in these drastic ways and the average temperatures rise, that has an impact on farming, agriculture, the way the way our biodiversity, all the things that feed into how the world, like the natural world works, are being affected. What if that there will be could be insect rises of certain kinds, diseases of certain kinds, mm-hmm. And then our ability to import and export certain foods is going to be affected. Like basically it's going to affect all of us because we don't, even if it's just you're going to get more rain and you're not going to be able to buy the same foods because they're no longer be available. But drastically, many, many, many people are not going to be able to live Mm -hmm. in the same places and earn a living and farm the land in the same way, basically. Okay, so taking a step back, because we appreciate that these are some tricky ideas to get your head around. Uh, It's tricky for me to get my head around. So we covered uh, greenhouse gases and the greenhouse gas effect uh, in the first section. Uh, We talked specifically about how more carbon dioxide in the atmosphere means that the planet gets warmer. And we can talk a little bit more about about that, um, mm-hmm. uh, the kind of the planet heat increasing a bit later on. And because we slightly mentioned, but we didn't quite cover it, we, we thought we'd take a step back and talk about uh, fossil fuels because we referred to industrial processes or manual extraction of carbon dioxide and how this impacts the heating of the planet. Um, and this specifically relates to, relates to fossil fuels. So we're going to like, talk through a little bit more about this in this section. Okay, Becky, tell us what fossil fuels are. Okay, so I'm back to my pop quiz. <laughs> Fossil fuels, and again, I think this is at least one of the ones that people can sort of remember from hopefully from school. Hopefully, fossil fuels are generally um, materials or energy that has been t- that has taken millions of years to make. Um, it's generally through, um, I guess, soil and rock um, and uh, things like volcanoes, like you mentioned, mm-hmm. and being ground down and impacted together uh, to create repositories of carbon yeah, uh, in re- the planet they call them reservoirs of um That's the word. Uh, oils and stuff and i think there's also decomposing plants and all kinds of things in there yeah yeah, yeah. and uh so the core the core fossil fuels which i think most people will be aware of is uh, petroleum coal and natural gas mm-hmm. just to also mention that there's they've got the three different types we've got the petroleum um, and we've got the coal, and um, I think we we know probably a bit more about them. But I think natural gas is quite interesting mm. because it's maybe referred to as the slightly cleaner 
fossil fuel to burn. However, the different processes that are used to extract it out of the ground or um, whether in another case fracking, mm. for example, those are the processes that are extremely damaging yeah. to the to the earth. Definitely. And I would advise looking that up if you're interested. Yeah. But um, oil, coal and gas actually account for 80% of our energy usage. Uh, over the planet which I think is really interesting because I also read we talk a lot about how fossil fuels are dying out and that we need renewable energy resources because we won't have enough energy to to kind of light the UK or the world in you know x amount of years time but I was having a bit of a read today to say that actually they aren't on the decline as much as is sensationalized in the media mm. and that if 80 percent of oil, coal and gas accounts for our usage now, by 2040, 78% of our usage will still be accounted for by oil, coal and gas. Mm -hmm. But that's why you'll read about campaigns to say keep it in the ground Mm -hmm. because that's essentially what we need to do. Even though it's there, we are it's just it's destroying the planet as we're describing yeah right, by extracting it yeah yeah and then i know you'll talk a bit more about that in a second but i think that's just a really important point to say that you know there are more renewable sources of energy and um, mm-hmm. technology being developed now but actually if the fossil fuels aren't running out as quickly as we think they are there's maybe not as much of a driver for company large companies and organizations yeah. to move to those methods yeah. of of creating energy because they've still got all these fossil fuels i see your point yeah it's not acting as the um, encouragement that we want it to be Exactly. Okay, so since the Industrial Revolution, when it was discovered that fossil fuels could act as an energy source and could be used in our transportation and manufacturing, there's there's obviously therefore been, we know now that carbon dioxide is released into the atmosphere when we extract fossil fuels. But over time, it became apparent that is having an effect. It's creating the greenhouse gas effect um, in a Mm-hmm. accelerated manner and that it's tr- this exceeding level of carbon in the atmosphere because of the extraction of fossil fuels is causing climate change it's causing global mm-hmm. warming so, and that's you can measure that so at, we are at i should have looked this up for the specifics but we are over 400 parts per million of carbon in the atmosphere at this time whereas it's been measured scientifically that back in 1750 there was 280 parts per million of carbon in the atmosphere and i was explaining to becky about mm-hmm. how we know this yeah and, um, one of the ways this is really cool so interesting so one of the ways that scientists have been able to determine how much carbon was in the atmosphere in the past because what they've had to do is they need to determine what is leading to the planet warming mm-hmm. um is carbon the factor that's affecting that and I guess what you need is for any sort of, I guess, experimenting with this, it's a baseline. So I guess you need to understand where you were yep. to kind of understand how how you can measure where you are now, right? Exactly. And back in 1750, no one was measuring how much carbon course, was in yeah. the atmosphere. So they're trying to compare, is there more carbon in the atmosphere now? It has that come from the extraction? And is that affecting, how can we determine what the temperatures were in the, on the planet um, back in those days and then measure what change is occurring? So one of the ways that they do that is through uh, measuring isotopes. So just sounds like magic. <laughs> yeah, I love yeah. this. Oh damn! I'm now going to have to try and explain this. If snow falls every year on glaciers and you know Antarctica and mm-hmm. everywhere, you can then see la- and that gets pushed down as ice. You could then dig down and through each layer of ice that effectively represents a year, right? So if you go down a certain distance, you can count the layers and say that's 15 years. 
And the reason that they can do that is when you've got the areas like the glaciers and you've got the nook or whatever, mm. because obviously that atmosphere is so cold, mm. the ice doesn't melt in the same way that it does. Like we have snow here, for oh, example, yeah, and yeah, it melts yeah. like tomorrow, yeah. whereas they, it's getting <laughs> compacted down because the ice isn't melting. Exactly. Right? I mean, okay. it is melting more yes. now, but they've been able to work out how many years that represents and drill far, 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 far down. And what they do is extract the ice from those levels and they can take out the air bubbles and effectively they're looking at ancient air and, it's just mad. and they're measuring what what is the composition of that air what is the carbon level what's the oxygen level the hydrogen level what is within this ancient mm-hmm. air and so that's how they're able to determine how much carbon was in the atmosphere however many years ago and basically you were going to look up the hockey stick becky weren't you yeah so do you want to explain that to us yeah um so i'll go into that a second just to say so we talked about methane and like uh, essentially being cows like parting and stuff yeah. you know when people like trying to sell weird like bottled air and stuff on, <laughs> on ebay i mean that's what it sounds like i'm gonna bottle some ancient air yeah, and yeah, sell yeah. it on ebay anyway sorry yeah. I, we digress <laughs> So the hockey stick. Uh, so this uh, hockey stick is not an actual hockey stick. It is um, a scientific graph um, that was created by a Penn State, um, so Pennsylvania State University climate scientist called Michael Mann. And he published a graph that happens to be in the shape of a hockey stick that really looked at global temperatures from 500 to 2000 years ago and looking at the average or mean temperature recordings of the planet over those 500 to 2000 years to determine one I guess how the planet uh, temperature has changed mm-hmm. and then also with all of that rich data to then project how the temperature will continue to change mm-hmm. on the planet and it's, it's interesting to point out this was in 1998 and actually it was ex- incredibly controversial when you know you publish some data and that you're also looking retrospectively before sort of the um, modernization and uh, before people were recording the temperature in the ways that they do today mm-hmm. you had to use lots of different I guess methods so one of the things that was really interesting is that they used paleoclimatology. So um, looking at um, the way temperature was recorded, you know, like a thousand years ago, 500 years ago, 2000 years ago, mm-hmm. it's vastly different. Um, but looking at all these different methods of measuring the average temperature in, uh, it's worth pointing out, the northern hemisphere of the planet uh, to find that average. Um, and what, what it really showed is that actually the increase in the planet's temperature in the 20th century is the largest mm-hmm. of any century. Yeah, the change is enormous. Yeah, yeah. I think it's important to note be, um, because some of, uh, I guess, the reason it was controversial is there was lots of naysayers who tried to uh, debunk this graph, um, tried to um, challenge its integrity. Um, and it actually, it you know, proved very well in all of these different tests mm-hmm. to be pretty robust data. Yeah. But it does actually look, kind of talk about the fact that um, it doesn't mean the whole of the 20th century was kind of this really warm period. It shows that actually you know there were colder periods towards the start but generally from about the 1920s you know as in the industrial revolution we're burning more fossil fuels we're creating more greenhouse gases bringing all these things we've just explained to you together has meant that the the planet's temperature has has rocketed and okay we might only be talking about a couple of degrees and i think matt will tell us about what that actually means but it shows that the hockey stick graph shows that the projected temperatures are going to continually like dramatically dramatically increase um as as you know uh the the habits of the people on the planet continue to yeah and that's um, what that hockey stick shape is it's like this straight line and then the hook of the hockey stick to and it's just so dramatic like as you've gone along the years along the bottom of the graph and then see it just rise 
rise so dramatically. And during my degree, they showed us the graph of the levels of carbon in the atmosphere and then the temperatures of the atmosphere, mm -hmm. land and ocean temperatures of the planet with the sit and put those two graphs together and yeah. they're both that identical hockey yeah. stick. So obviously it's always really hard to find causation and be able to say, is it the carbon in the atmosphere yeah. that's leading to the heating of the planet? Well, actually, you know, to me, that's really, yeah. really clear demonstration. And, you know, any sort of scientist, whether it's sort of science, maths, um, medicine, you know, it's looking at comparative data. Mm -hmm. You know, when you think about um, diseases or medicine, they're looking at comparative data from Always. outcomes. Yep. So whether that's, you know, the um, somebody's surgery or mm -hmm. the um, how well a medicine is working. Um, and so this is, you know, looking at it scientifically in a, in a very systematic way, yeah. which is why it is quite hard to challenge but at the same time it's just a stark picture yeah. of which Mac will explain a bit more about that it's quite hard for people to digest I think yeah and also there's always you know any decent scientist in any of those sectors you've just described are always going to admit and as part of their profession and, and take pride in understanding the uncertainties that yeah. lay behind any scientific discovery any data yeah. there's always going to be uncertainties there's always going to be um, yeah causation um, yeah. doubts and, and reasoning but if anyone who's telling you any theory or anything without uncertainty they're the people you should be worried about because yeah. everywhere you know the best the people worth listening to are the ones that are willing to admit that there's there's a lot going on in the in this yeah. climate here and the geography of what needs to be understood it's difficult for us to describe it but yeah, and definitely, you know, when you think about, um, and I look at this maybe more in my work setting, where if anyone's heard of like root cause analysis, when you're looking at the the root cause uh, that has uh, meant something has happened, whether that's a bad thing or a good thing, mm. generally there is no one, yeah. there is no one factor mm -hmm. that's contributed to that happening. It's a yeah. range of factors. Yeah. But if data shows and the process and the evidence shows um, that there is, you know, strong markers for, like you said, the number the amount of carbon um, rising mm -hmm. in the atmosphere and the, mm -hmm. the amount of heat rising in the atmosphere, then you can draw conclusions. Yeah. Okay, and some of the, uh, just, I think it's important to mention that the other ways that sort of conclusions are drawn and um, evidence is built um, to support this, what's happening with climate change is that every year, ocean and surface land temperatures are gathered from across the planet. Mm -hmm. There's like 3,000 pointers, um, ocean drifters that are taking the temperature of the ocean and all across land areas across the world, they're collecting the temperatures mm -hmm. and that um, information is combined, those measurements are brought together. A lot of this is drawn together in reports by the IPCC, which is the Intergovernmental Intergovernmental? Why can't I say that? You say Intergovernmental. Thank you. Panel for Climate Change. They bring those figures together and those measurements and that's where they bring together and find that the average temperature of the planet is increasing. And that makes sense because if you think if you search on your phone, whatever different type of phone you've got or the internet and you're like, okay, I'm going to Spain on holidays tomorrow or I'm going to Australia tomorrow and you want to look up a specific location and what the temperature is in that location, mm -hmm. uh, that you can do that from wherever you are. Yeah, that's in the a good world. point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when you're bringing that together, you can start to think, oh, they're talking about we, we want to avoid a 1.5 degree or 2 degree of average warming from happening. And then 1.5 to 2 degrees, I mean, to, to the normal person like myself, you know, you mm -hmm. don't generally think, oh, that doesn't sound like very much. Mm -hmm. But if you were, I'm going to try and think of a way to describe this. If you had um, a cube of ice in a glass of water um, and you the temperature in the room rises, that ice in that water mm -hmm. is going to melt faster, yeah. right? So 
and that might only be one degree warmer in that room yeah um it's the same as when you're like tempering chocolate yeah. right you have to get to a certain temperature for it to be work and be perfect yeah if it's one degree over or one degree under it won't work the same if you, your core body temperature if your body temperature drops by even a degree it has an impact on your body and your functioning yeah absolutely you know like when you say um you've got a high temperature or you've got um, a fever mm-hmm. your normal core temperature is like between you know 36 and 37 degrees you yeah. go up by one degree and all of a sudden you're in a okay you might be unwell if it if it gets any higher you need to go to a and e and actually yeah. that's a really small amount so i guess what you're trying to say is that there's a very fine balance between absolutely. there being the perfect conditions for like our bodies or like baking or mm-hmm. like the planet mm-hmm. to be able to exist in a kind of a healthy way yeah just a few degrees either way has a dramatic effect on how much of the planet is land and ice and weather and and i mean it's effectively like if you overwater a plant or underwater a plant mm-hmm. that has an effect on how it can live or whether yeah. it will live we're talking about small what sounds like really small changes that have a drastic effect on the ecosystem yeah, that makes sense okay good <laughs> Now that we have all this information about the the planet warming, about the fossil fuels, about the greenhouse gases, about kind of the cli- climate change, what next? What does what does this mean? What do we do next? Good point. So I guess the 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 whole point now is that if we continue to allow more and more carbon into the atmosphere, the average temperature of the planet is going to continue to increase, and that's going to have dramatic effects, as we said earlier, mm-hmm. on the state of the planet on our living beings. And then could you maybe just recap a couple of those different examples? Of what's going to happen? Mm-hmm. Okay, so you could have, if the temperature changes and we have vast amounts of insects die out, um, that could have a massive effect on, well, obviously the pr- problem with bees, right? Bees mm-hmm. pollinate a lot of our food. It's They are hugely, hugely important to, uh, to us to be able to eat day mm-hmm. to day. If you have a massive swarm of insects that are able to live in these conditions or might migrate, that can affect disease spreading, it Mm -hmm. can affect ecological diversity and agriculture Mm -hmm. and what we're able to eat. But also if people aren't able to live in coastal areas anymore because of sea level rise, where are those people going to live? It's going to lead to a lot of migration Um, and, you know, people who've lived in areas of the world for vast amounts of time and it's going to drastically affect poorer people obviously more than the rich and i guess i'll counter i guess our overpopulation demand on services because i guess if you're um reducing the amount of footprint that people can live on yeah that it means a lot more resources are going to be required in specific areas yeah i guess yeah yeah yeah. it's complicated Yeah. yeah there's a lot to think about and there's actually also there's so there's this thing called feedback loops or tipping points Okay, I've not heard of this before. Can you tell us what this is? Okay, I'm going to try not to make this sound too confusing, but there's certain parts of the process of climate change that could be accelerated and lead to sort of a loop, a feedback loop of one thing accelerating another thing, Mm -hmm. meaning that climate change happens even faster in an uncontrolled... It accelerates to the point where it's unstoppable. That's why it's called the tipping point. Yeah, and almost like, I guess, a domino effect. Domino effect, exactly. And it's the known unknown. So it's almost, it's very likely to happen, but nobody can really predict when these things would Mm -hmm. happen. And it hasn't, I guess, happened before. So in the same way that it's happening. Oh, well, that's a good point. I think some of them have happened before. Okay, okay. And that's why there's been drastic changes in the planet. So they're self-reinforcing. So let me try and give you an example. So polar ice acts as a reflector and it actually sends heat away from the planet but if that polar ice is melting because the average temperature of the planet is increasing then more sun rays are making it into the dark ocean um, which is warming up the planet even more Mm -hmm. so 
then that more sea ice will melt, which will lead to less of it being reflected, which will lead to more warming, sure. which will lead to the same thing over and over and yeah, over yeah. again. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. So essentially you're then escalating or increasing the amount of water, less ice, more sun radiation, and it's like a self-perpetuating cycle, i.e. the feedback loop. Exactly, and that's why they call ice sheets sleeping giants, because mm-hmm. they con- they're so special and they're so important and so big. Another one would be permafrost, so large areas of ice that contain large quantities of methane. If they melt, then more methane in the atmosphere will lead to more heating, which will lead to more melting. Mm-hmm. Um, and when that happens, it's kind of basically unstoppable. I guess one of the other things is this, if the temperature of soil rises and it dries out, then it will release the carbon that it has stored and that will also add yeah. to more carbon in the atmosphere, more heat and more carbon, more mm-hmm. heat. And then it also impacts, I guess, what can grow where um, exactly. and crops and that sort of thing. And when you talked about, I guess, what are the foods that we can eat, yeah. um, then that's how that's impacted. Yeah, so all all range of factors affect one another, but that's, that's a scary thing to consider is the feedback loops and the tipping points because no one can really predict when they're going to happen. Mm-hmm. But I guess I wanted to also mention is... People tend to talk about this as if it's by the end of the century this will happen or by 2050 we're going to aim to do this stuff. But in 10 years' time, I'm going to be 46 and the planet is going to already look very different. And there's a lot of concern that some of these tipping points might have already been past that sort of the point of return. And that's in the next 10 years. This isn't something that we're talking about anymore that's vastly in the future beyond our livelihood. Not that that's a reason to just pretend it's not happening. And I guess the other thing that can be frustrating is We've known a fair amount of this science since the 60s, 70s mm-hmm. onwards. Yeah, so it really is reaching the point now where it's an emergency, which we'll talk about a little bit in a minute. Thank you uh, for explaining uh, feed la- free- feedback loops, feedback loops. <laughs> to, uh, uh, to me then. Um, uh, when we were talking about it earlier, um, I was struggling to get it a little bit, but it is Saturday after all. Okay, we've gone through some really big ideas, a lot of science. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've thought about what next. And then the next obvious question is, well, what do we do about what happens next? Mm-hmm. But we thought that that would be something we could explore in a future episode or the next episode i think i figure really that this has been pretty intense we're pretty exhausted Mm. when our friends and family listen to this podcast they're probably going to ask us some more questions which will be good because it'll be clear which bits we haven't explained well or what we haven't really covered yet so if we come back to um to you all in a future episode we can talk about you know if this is such a big problem why aren't we doing more about it and what are some of the problems that are happening what can we do about it yeah and cover that stuff yeah. in the future that would be really good and we'd really encourage our listeners who are not our friends and family because hopefully we have a few of them too uh, to send us some questions what I might try and do on our Instagram which is one of the other platforms that we use is maybe post some polls um, in our stories or on our Facebook some stories uh, asking some questions good idea um, to kind of kind of get a sense of um, people's understandings or or what they'd like to hear about in relation to the things that we've discussed today Mm. and honestly if you found it really hard to follow it's because it's really hard to explain and it's really confusing and there's so much to think about thank you very much for listening today thank you for bearing with us and going on this journey with us as we talk about the big ideas and science i hope Uh, some of it made sense (laughs) yeah please and if it didn't uh tell us but nicely yeah (laughs) Yeah, be kind to us be kind so we will um be back uh next month with um a follow-on from what i guess what do we do about what happens next yeah bye bye